0: And now coming to you live from our coast-to-coast trading desk, this is The Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast recorded in front of a live Discord audience where we discuss the economy, the stock market, and all the various market forces shaping the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, you know, the end of a quarter. We're here literally at the close of market on Q1, the first down quarter we've had since 2020. Um, Obviously, you know, there's been a lot of factors here. There's been a lot of complications this quarter and also the last quarter a little bit as well. So I'm excited to unpack that with y'all as well. Uh, Just a really wild time here in the market. Lots of like different things are kind of popping off, popping down. To help me unpack all of that folks, obviously I'm here with Justin Kramer, our CEO, Co-Founder and Chief Analyst. So Justin, man, what's good? What's live? Uh, How's life over on the East Coast today?
1: Good, Um, can't complain. Things Things are going well everything is uh seems to be recovering potentially in some capacity from the markets to foreign politics so you know i really hope things are trending in the right direction here being you know, positive while also being cautious.
0: Exactly, yeah. We're, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, solid positive indicators right now, um, like a lot of little things that are going to probably add up to some more bigger holes moving forward. Obviously, I'm a little bit annoyed because yesterday I filled up a full tank of gas um, at about $6.17 here in California, and we woke up this morning and it's five ninety nine. thanks to Joe Biden announcing that we are going to pull 180 million barrels of oil out of the U.S.'s Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is having a, a immediate effect on, you know, kind of tamping down oil prices and therefore gas prices across at least here in California, Lord knows if uh, it's happening everywhere else. But it's really encouraging sign too, seeing that, like, uh, when we have to take action, we do take action on the commodity side here. And it's really exciting to see more spend going towards, um, you know, mining here in America too. us thinking about, OK, well, we need to build more EVs. So let's go find some nickel in them nar hills, fellas. So a lot of really exciting indicators as we sort of like begin to take action on this situation. Uh, Justin, when you when you look at this, when you, we look at oil prices going down, how does that go into, a, like, it's already, you know, affected gas prices in a way, and certain stocks have kind of popped off a little bit. But as we look at uh, gas, like oil prices and gas prices across the board, is this going to be short-lived? Is it going to get priced in really quickly? Or is this going to have lasting effects in terms of, like, uh, calming down energy stocks?
1: Yeah, I mean, so energy stocks seem to definitely be in the, the later stage right now uh, of their overall cycle. And the reason we say that is is due to a few reasons. Obviously, the this the whole constraint uh, coming out of Russia is massively affecting just global economic prices for for gas and oil. Um, they've had early talks. Obviously, they have a long way to go with the Ukraine, but things could be getting better there. Having said that, Russia's clearly shown they are <laughs> relatively untrustworthy. So, uh, it will be interesting to see even if this ends tomorrow how they'll actually start playing nicely, or if other countries will start playing nicely with them. I, we're definitely a little skeptical um so that will affect gas prices in a in a negative direction in terms of getting more expensive um inflationary talks should start in theory starting to come to a little bit of uh, of a peak here we've been calling for it basically since last year that we thought halfway through the year they they would start peaking and so we're in q2 starting tomorrow it should hopefully start approaching soon based on all the signs we've seen so far so when you mix inflation you mix the geo like political aspect mix the supply chains there's there's a lot of forces at play you mix the stage at which we are in the market ultimately the the long short of it is that we should be approaching a, a top relatively soon um so what does that mean for energy stocks it definitely means the the run they've been on could be curtailed um we should start looking at other alternative assets um parts of financials other parts of financials won't do as well in a rising rate environment uh we should be looking at utilities we should be looking at staples um the next 12 months are are going to be choppy it doesn't mean you can't make money it doesn't mean there aren't good opportunities we just need to think about where the smart ones are investing in tech names like we've done over the last decade we've clearly seen over the last three months that doesn't work um and it, it shouldn't work over the next nine months there are tech names to be found, but stock selection becomes more important than ever in choppy environments. So we just got to be really, really smart about the stocks we pick um, and then think about the right sectors that benefit as well from like a, a more macro perspective.
0: Exactly. And that's what you have to think about when you become more of a long term investor, folks. Like, this is, this period is honestly the best thing that could have happened after 2020, given that a lot of people entered the stock market uh, right, at, right in March 2020. Everyone got their stimmy checks and were like, okay, now's the time I'm going to become an investor. And everyone got used to just truly ludicrous returns, one of the fastest recoveries of all time in terms of like the stock market recreating value from March 2020 into about Q1, Q2 of 2021. And so, what's really exciting is like, getting this reality check and getting more of a sense of how you invest. Obviously, 2020 was the time to invest in all your high growth tech stocks as there was just so much money in the economy. Now you have to get more into your stock selection phase. And next year, we're be talking about a completely different way you're, you're strategizing. And so no matter what, you're initiating long term positions that will, you know, pay off in five to 10 years. And it's really cool that you're adjusting your spend audience as you go through. So what I'm really excited for is to find those moments of efficiency and find those sectors that are going to perform very well or finding interse- intersector opportunities. I've got a couple of videos coming out about that, where certain sectors are going to perform badly, but certain peers within those sectors may do very well, and because of that, their stock price may rise because the market se- market sentiment sometimes is very comparative interse- uh, within different sectors. But I'll get I'm not I'm you know getting ahead of myself. One of the big things that's coming out of you know, of you know the American plan to deal with the oil price situation is you know a re- renewed investment here in America in EVs which is pretty timely on your end, Justin, because you finally released a new report on Rivian, which, uh, you know, audience is pretty surprised about. Um, given with the, with the whole Eastern European situation and given the world's nickel supply, um, you know, we're all like, wait a minute, I thought EVs were about to get mad expensive, dude. Can you kind of take me through, like, your new price target for Rivian now that we've gone through the IPO, now that they've gone through their very wacky, hyper-expensive phase and are now coming back down to earth and now are kind of gearing up to be, you know, a real tech company, a real EV player moving forward?
1: yeah i think what people don't realize is that yeah you can have an amazing product you can you can do all these great things in the ev space but what only really matters for now not for always since it's such a nascent industry is how effectively you can ultimately produce scale and ship these cars even if the best car in the world it's really tough to create a sustainable business model and so When you start thinking about what companies can really do well, it's companies that have a sustainable, scalable production process. And that's part of the reason Tesla has done so well is they've invested a ton of money in their supply chain, in their production, in their facilities, more so than anyone else, and they've done it for years. So they have a a massive head start in other companies. So I think people really underappreciate how important that is to the long-term viability of your business um, right now that it's such a capital intensive hard business I mean the pollution alone from getting nickel you need for the batteries is almost worse than getting than buying a traditional like oil-based car. I know it's hard to believe but it's the truth. so it's a long-winded way of saying we really need to look at companies that have a good supply chain and so Rivian is a prime example of that rivian and again they still have years to go tesla is by far the king in this category but it's not going to be a winner's take all category there will be others that do well even if it's not as well as tesla and rivian is a company that we fundamentally believe can do well in the long run um what they're doing that's so differentiated is focusing on a supply chain focusing on bringing a lot of the battery technology uh in-house having accessible sources to raw materials uh and other components needed for production of these cars and It is definitely going to be a long battle, but so many other companies are focused on product, whereas Rivian, yes, they have a great product, but how they build that product is what's so important. Um, They've done a really good job. They've shown commitment and investment towards scaling that. So they're still in the early innings, but they're showing really good signs of what's to come next. So at this stage, we're looking at Rivian from a supply chain perspective, as well as a partnership perspective, In what they're doing and trying to go after a more b2b space than rather go to consumer as a company that can really really do well over the next decade and so this is like many of our picks a super long-term play um but with the stock down so much over the last year and and the valuation at where it is i think it makes a lot of sense for us to start getting actively involved now
0: absolutely and i think one thing to keep in mind too audience is that b2b play on the rivian side is going to be gigantic one thing i want to get into that but i want to just rehash what justin just said to make sure like it's really sticky one of the main things we have to keep in mind is as like right now tesla tesla's in a little bit of an interesting situation because their shanghai plan is shutting down because of lockdowns in china like product production and supply chains are going to have these kind of weird little disruptions moving forward as COVID becomes less of you know this thing where we're just like locked in our houses for uh however long and into more an endemic phase where like it kind of ebbs and flows and people like if if this continues then you'll expect you know once once a year maybe twice a year lockdowns like this hitting china or hitting other areas where you know you have like these global supply chains which can be a little bit strained and so the market center is going to shift towards simplification and that's something that makes Rivian really really attractive because they focused on supply chain and the actual supply chain for building an electric vehicle is so much simpler than the supply chain for saying for say um, a building like the traditional uh, internal combustion engine vehicle now that's not necessarily the same thing as cheap obviously nickel lithium, all of these metals are very expensive. And so it is actually incredibly expensive to build these vehicles. But we're looking at two things, complexity and cost. So keep that in mind as we roll forward here. Um, It's it's one of those things where we just kind of have to uh, be mindful of the different layers of market sentiment that could be driving these prices up or down. And then as we look at Rivian, the other company want to watch in this space too, this is kind of a this is kind of a complete pivot from what I just said. Is Chrysler and Chrysler's new parent company? As one of the big things driving Rivian's value is their commitment to build delivery vehicles for Amazon. That's where Amazon's big investment came in. Recently, Amazon has announced they're also investing in Chrysler building a a similar idea like an electric vehicle van. So obviously, Amazon's kind of like putting, you know, not putting all their eggs in one basket, so to speak, trying to become you know all electric on the delivery side as much as possible and so watching this competition heat up as well is going to create a lot of shareholder value so it's going to be very exciting to see who wins because the person who wins the big contract on the ev side for delivery events from amazon basically becomes the king of evs overnight right because they're going to be servicing they'll have one of the biggest contracts of all time they're going to gradually take over the entire country with electric vehicle delivery vehicles um, but ju- but to reiterate your point justin it's really all important also to keep in mind that even though Um, electric vehicles don't emit emissions themselves, just getting the nickel out of the ground takes a lot of carbon. And not only that, but if you are, you know, powering your electric vehicle from your grid and you're attached to the power grid, you're probably powered by natural gas or a coal-fired plant, so you are adding just as much pollution so we're not even looking at this from the like, oh, it's better for the environment. As we get into more renewable energy, as we make that maneuver, if it's, as America thinks of building more nuclear, building more solar, making more efficient power grids that use renewable energy, that becomes a value add as well. But right now the chief value add is uh, how simple it is to build these vehicles compared to the immense sort of lumbering supply chains you see on traditional vehicle sides. So keep that in mind as you sort of examine these spaces and as you sort of like question uh, Justin's not aggressive, but pretty middle-of-the-road price target for Rivian. Uh, we're, we're getting into an area where the supply chains are, you know, healthier, but they're always going to be prone to disruption just because of how wacky new variants of COVID are going to be as they ebb and flow, as things as, as vaccinations worldwide get a little bit, you know, become a much bigger buffer but as co- coronaviruses are the most incredibly evil um, evolutionary machine of all time the the way they uh, evolve and mutate is just wild but don't want to get into that too much let's stay focused on the markets then Rivian's pretty solid what's also really exciting about this week is Bitcoin's finally stabilizing in the 40s so Justin as we see you know uh, the market kind of glumly accepting the down market and just taking a bit of a dive right now Bitcoin also do- dove about two percent this afternoon as we closed and market closes literally right now um as you, as you think about crypto in this space as well, like, is there anything else you're seeing in terms of the crypto market sort of following the NASDAQ? Is that still more of the case? Are we just kind of like, you know, staying low and slow? Or are we finally starting to exit the crypto bear market? Like, as you sort of like an, a, examine the things you're seeing, both in the Bitcoin and altcoin space, our audience is really curious, like, is this a full on bear market in crypto? Or are we just following kind of the blip with the rest of the markets?
1: We're, we're releasing a piece very shortly after the, we wrap up this call on kind of our, our outlook on crypto over the next 12 to 24 months. And so the number one thing that we're seeing right now is a surge or the start of a surge of institutional capital in a way we've never seen before. Um, if you look back last year at kind of our our thesis on Bitcoin, outside of any like actual adoption from a, a usability perspective, the actual price scale adoption would come when institutions come in. We've been saying it for years and right now we're seeing kind of the first real stages of massive institutions coming to the table um some of the kind of proof points that we're seeing to support that claim um is a handful of things we saw goldman sachs do some of their first otc trading um, which is one of the biggest oldest banks in the country we saw bridgewater which is the largest hedge fund in the world getting invested into crypto we saw blackrock which is the largest asset manager in the world start getting involved into crypto we saw hedge fund uh, sorry not not hedge funds but sovereign wealth funds pension funds endowment funds starting to get in um and granted they're not doing a lot yet but institutional capital is coming in a way that will never that has never come before and will never come going forward um institutional capital has money like retail markets just just don't have and so when you know 50 trillion dollars get poured into into new markets it affects prices especially with something that's like pretty illiquid in the sense of how much uh, market cap there is out there that really starts moving the needle really quickly um and so institutional capital has grown from market share to 99 percent of trades over the last year um so while we're not there yet from a pure dollars perspective on what will be this is the first sign that these large institutions are starting to get more comfortable and will come to the table and so over the next few years as they start injecting in real capital this could be like the the kind of point of no return that we see real money start moving in and that will really move the needle for crypto prices so over the next 12 to 24 months extremely bullish um, having said that, it does track the market. so I think there's going to be a lot of volatility. It's up right now. It'll be down you know the next day, up the next day. So it's I caution people to try to actively trade it, but these large swings of volatility open up good opportunities if you're looking from it from a multi-year perspective. So long story short, um, this is a, an awesome sign and we're really looking forward to kind of what's next over the next few years.
0: And to add a little color to that audience, I, I'm sure if you're in, involved in the crypto space, you heard about all the whales entering the market across 2020 and 2021. Um, but when you look at sort of the, the research that Justin's been doing, you'll begin to see that like that was just kind of the institutions dipping their toes. So what we're actually seeing is this trend accelerating a lot more. It's, it's not necessarily they're entering now, a lot more is entering into the crypto space now that the institutions have kind of dipped their toes both into Bitcoin, Ethereum, various altcoins. So it's really exciting is to see See that trend accelerate and to give you kind of an example of like what happens when like the big institutions enter a space let's look back to the moment that tesla entered the s&p 500 and a bunch of institutional money swept in there along with a bunch of retail investment and tesla went from what like uh, at the beginning of 2020 like 400 a share to now over a thousand like once once institutions get involved uh you're going to see like a lot of value created so to speak and a lot of like price pressure upwards. so it's really exciting to watch this trend, but keep in mind, while it is very big, it will also be very slow. So keep that in mind as you roll through. It's going to be a lot of money entering the space over a long period of time. We're talking glacial, both in speed and scale. So just really excited to watch that happen. It's a really exciting time to be in these spaces. It's obviously a very complicated time with a bunch of volatility, but that's you know why you you know listen to this podcast. It's why you read our research to sort of like find signal amongst the noise. And so we're kind of getting Already really close to the end here, Justin. So we're both at the end of this podcast. Markets just closed on Q1 as well. First down quarter uh, in a while. It's been a wild Q1. Um, you mentioned some of the positive things we're looking forward to in Q2. Main thing being obviously inflation potentially peaking in the next three months. We'd love to see that. But what else are you going to, what else are you kind of trying to be mindful for as we move towards like the next earnings season as people sort of like begin reporting Q1 earnings? Like what are you looking for in Q2 besides like just the inflation question?
1: Yeah, I mean, like unfortunately, the economic events are definitely going to ultimately like have a lot of dictation on where the market goes. So it's hard to to overlook that because we've been talking about it so so much, but it's super important. So I say first and foremost, like we gotta be looking at inflation, gotta look at interest rates. That's really going to dictate where a lot of stocks move. Past that, it'll be very interesting to see how those economic numbers then ultimately affects the income of a lot of the companies that we're tracking. Um, right now, in particular, we're about to head into like the next earnings seasons. Now that Q1 wrapped up, uh, we'll start getting results in in the back half of April and, and into May. So it'll be really interesting to see how this really rough Q1, uh, like globally economically, from whatever lens you're looking at it, affected companies. If things are better than anticipated, we could be seeing a, a decent recovery in some of the names that got crushed. Or if companies were really affected because consumer sentiment was down so much it could be continuing more of the choppiness. So the first batch of companies that start reporting will have a lot of insight. And we unfortunately won't be yet, but that's something we're really keeping our eyes on that will set kind of the tone for the rest of the year. And then in addition to that, as from a user's perspective, for all of our premium users, they can go into the platform starting very soon and start seeing sentiment around every single stock, seeing how analysts are rating stocks based on the, the proprietary tools that we've built, And so they can go in and start understanding them themselves so if they have questions they don't necessarily need to wait for us to publish it they can go in and see kind of the updates directly themselves so we're really excited to start rolling that out Um, and that will help people start understanding kind of what we're tracking at a at a more granular level on stocks they care about not necessarily just what we're covering
0: exactly and I think that's the most exciting thing too for me Q, Q2 isn't even about the market Q2 is just about all the stuff that we've been building finally coming into fruition we've got a, a lot of really amazing things on the Moby.co side that we're really excited to share with, you, with y'all with um, you things that have been like a long time coming but we're finally putting all the pieces together and making it so it's very easy and very coherent for you to sort of see how the market is moving and understanding the sentiment behind a lot of the plays here so we're so excited to show you that audience thank you so much for being with us now you have no idea what you're in for across April, April, May, and June. Q2 is going to be gigantic here at Moby.co, and we really appreciate y'all being with us here in these early days. It's very exciting to kind of keep moving forward here. But to kind of begin wrapping it up, let's kind of pull our perspective back in. So next week is the first week in Q2, Justin. So anything you're kind of looking forward to in terms of like economic events? Obviously, we're a little bit disappointed this week seeing unemployment numbers pop back up after they're sort of hit like historic lows last week. Um, but is there anything else in terms of economic events that we should be mindful of as Q2? begins or is or is it going to be like every other economic quarter where it kind of begins a little bit sleepily?
1: We need to really be like hyper aware of what the Fed's doing. It's it's like I, how many times can you like beat a dead horse? But it's that will be the theme of 2022 is what is the Fed doing? How are they reacting? Um, so the number one thing we need to watch from them is specifically is their policy on interest rates. It will affect every single thing in the market. I know interest rates sound so boring and like they are, to be honest, um, but it affects valuations, it affects stock prices, it affects mortgages. It just affects everything. It affects how you do business, the cost of doing business, how much cash there is in the economy. So if the Fed continues on what they're saying, which is going to be roughly five rate rises, depending on how significant they are, we'll see. But if they continue going down that path, I think we're on a very projectable period over the next few years. If things drastically change and they have to peel back or significantly scale forward, there's going to be a lot more volatility in the market. But right now, I think the market's digested what they're saying. They believe what they're saying. And we're on a a nice path. Um, So just let's really keep our eyes on that, because if they start deviating from what they're saying and they don't do what they say they're going to do, the signaling is almost more important than what they do. So you got to really, really keep your eyes on it and we can update you the best we can. Um, But if you want to see things in real time, it's that's that's what you want to pay attention to it. If you want to become a better investor.
0: Yeah, it's going to be all eyes on Jay Powell for the next year and a half. But what's really exciting is how the market's kind of digested and agreed on the plan, so to speak. Uh, it's really nice seeing the the potential for us to be really threading the needle here in America. Because if we go too hard into interest rates, we basically cause a recession. And if we, you know, aren't hard enough, we cause hyperinflation destroy the value of the dollar overnight so we're really doing a good solid job of threading that needle at least the market thinks we are and ultimately that's kind of like what's more important so just kind of watching the fed making sure they don't you know jerk the wheel so to speak as as things move forward it's cool that we're seeing these sort of slow even-handed changes Um, uh, it's really awesome that you know we're doing things like opening up the strategic petroleum reserve that does put us in a bit of a risk later on down the line but hopefully we also open up a little bit more drilling like in places like North Dakota just to get a little bit of extra oil to refill that reserve once this whole situation is uh, calming down a bit but honestly like it's it's nice that we're in this precarious position but we are threading the needle so you're going to see volatility but we're going to see recovery from the economy getting a little bit too hot after this big hit we hit and we got in 20 2020. And that's honestly very exciting. So yes, it is a down quarter, ladies and gentlemen, but it's one of those things where it's kind of a by the dip scenario more than like, you know, raising the alarm, so to speak. There's other kinds of inflation to worry about, other inflationary pressures as supply chains maybe get a little bit messed up again from lockdowns in China, as, uh, the, uh, as 15% of the world's wheat supply getting locked up between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, also kind of like getting taken off the table, but how various ways we can kind of alleviate that pressure. India may save the world this year with their strategic wheat reserve, let's see. But a lot of different things are going to cause a lot of cool volatility. And so I'm very excited to keep watching that with you, audience. Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder and chief analyst here at Moby.co. I'm really excited to you know keep exploring that with you as well. We're right here at the very end. Any final thoughts from you, man, before I go ahead and read the credits here? As always, I'm amazed we, you know, this has only been 30 minutes, but really excited to have this conversation with you, man.
1: Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think we covered a lot of it. I mean, market closed pretty uh, pretty down today. I mean, it was up last week, and so this is just more of the same. Um, if you've been listening to us for weeks now, this volatility is not going away. Um, it creates good buying opportunities, especially for stocks that are depressed. Um, but as investors, if you can't handle the volatility, then you really shouldn't be investing in, in single stocks. You should be setting and forgetting, putting in an index, which there's nothing wrong with that. But this is, this is just how the market works. Um, it's not for everyone. Um, but smart investors will will see this, learn over time, and get comfortable with it. It's just it's par for the course.
0: Yeah, for me this is. It always depends like your level of comfort, but for me this time is the ultimate time to be, be paying attention at a very high resolution, looking at individual stocks across sort of like individual periods of time, because we're seeing so much energy in the market and sentiment shifting so wildly that you're gonna learn a lot from this period if you're paying attention as an investor and sort of like not not placing big bets, but even just taking notes, being like I would if I wanted to light you know X amount of money on fire, I would have initiated this position at this time. And just <laughs> yeah. see, seeing how that plays out. Either way, audience, thank you so much for your questions. Thank you so much for being here with us during this kind of wild quarter. This is the first quarter where we consistently did this live. I'm very excited to keep moving forward with this. you here, but for now, audience, we are at time here, so as always, just want to let you know this podcast is produced and hosted by me, Peter Starr. Um, all of the insights came from our an- analysis team, which is led by Justin Kramer, CEO and co-founder here at Moby.co. If you want to hear more from us, check us out over at Moby.co slash go or Moby.co slash get started. You can also check us out over at Mobi at YouTube.com slash C slash Moby Invest, where I'm going to be putting out a piece about uh, delivery and rideshare tomorrow, uh, which I think is very exciting in terms of like who's going, like there's two final the final battle between uber and doordash is at hand who's going to win who knows find out tomorrow maybe question mark either way audience really excited to have you here but it's a pretty good place to end it so as always i like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well thank you so much